But what I say to people is that the more you focus on selling, the less you're actually going to sell Mm. because you are going to repel the people you're trying to attract to you. No one likes a salesperson. So you're, you're really sabotaging your entire effort by focusing on scarcity instead of abundance. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author, and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Diane Helbig. Diane is an international business and leadership change agent, author, award-winning speaker, and podcast host. As president of Seize This Day, Diane helps businesses and organizations operate more constructively and profitably. Diane takes a straightforward, no-nonsense approach to cut through the noise and help her clients implement their plans. She is the host of the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast, which is on the Inc.com 100 recommended podcasts. Diane, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Let's dive in and let me ask you right away, when you reflect on all the different things, all the different facets of your work, what do you enjoy the most and why? Boy, that's such a good question. I think what I enjoy most is working with small business owners, uh, that one-on-one or working with their leadership teams to help them overcome whatever it is that's getting in their way. And I think it's my favorite part because it's so great when they accomplish things and, you know, just to watch them succeed and be happy and sort of amazed at themselves that they didn't think they were going to be able to do it. And then they do. And it just adds so much confidence to them. It's really incredible. Mm. What are the top two or three most recurring needs you find with these business owners, entrepreneurs, some of them early in their career, but some of them probably have been grappling with their business for a while. What are the top needs that you are observing with them? Uh, And what's interesting is that so many of them end up having (laughs) the same kinds of needs. I would say the top, top is sales. It's either that they don't have a, a steady enough pipeline or they're uncomfortable with the sales process, but there's something around business growth that they are challenged by. So that is probably the biggest thing that I see. And the second thing is, I'll call it having systems, having some sort of structure in their business so that there's consistency of operation. They're not re engineering or reinventing for every new customer or client. They've got some sort of a process for hiring and onboarding employees and, you know, having expectations of them, uh, which actually leads me to my third, which is dealing with employees. So Mm. those three. 
So how do you help those business owners? They've had a dream, they've had an idea about a service, about a solution, but then they discover that, that hey, when you're going to build a business, guess what? <laughs> you need to sell your service or solution or product. And many of them are not necessarily natural salespeople. How do you help them discover the, and liberate that capacity? So, and you are so right about these folks. So I believe that we have to let go of the old sales practices, which works in, in their, to their advantage because they're not natural salespeople. So it's great. We don't have to break them of any behaviors, just some preconceived ideas. So what I do with them is, but, you know, help them identify what does an ideal client look like, you know, who should they be working with, what is the value that they bring, but probably more or equally uh, valuable is helping them create a process that they will follow that has more to do with getting to know people and building relationships with people and then asking for introductions to the people they want to meet than it does with having to do that hardcore selling that they, you know, that we grew up believing we were supposed to do. Mm. So give me an example of what would you be observing with a business owner that successfully embraced this idea that, guess what, you have a business, your first job is to uh, create a customer, as Peter Drucker said and and so you are in the business of building relationships and you are in the business of attracting people to the services and the solutions that you you offer and you shouldn't be feeling strange or awkward about it so all this is very nice in theory what do the yeah. best business owners that then successfully sell what do they actually do i believe what they do is first they are intentionally curious about the people they're talking to. So they aren't trying to tell them about their product or service. They're learning about them. They're genuinely interested in people and they're listening actively to what the person is telling them, how they're telling them, whatever it is the conversation is about. They're not trying to sell them anything. What they're really doing is absorbing information so that they can determine is this someone who might have a need for what I sell? Or is it someone who might be a good referral partner or a resource for my connections or a good associate or who knows what? We just, we don't know when we're first engaging with people, even prospects. We still don't know whether they're going to be a good customer or not. So the people who are really successful, what they do is they are really in the moment. They are in the conversation and they are really listening and absorbing the information and then figuring out, okay, what do I do now with this information I have? When they identify that the person they're talking to is someone who they might be able to help, they carry the conversation forward where they would say, based on what I think I heard you say, I think I might be able to help you with that. Would you be interested in having that conversation? So a lot of it is being invited in, you know, this permission-based as opposed to being a bull in a china shop. And they have a very engaging conversation where the salesperson makes sure they're asking a lot of questions so they're getting all of their answers so that, you know, they really understand not just the situation but who they are talking to. And then when they offer their solution, they're pairing it to what they heard. So they're saying, 
what I believe I heard you say was X, Y, and Z. Uh, Is that the case? Yes. Well, here's how I think we might be able to help you with that. We offer da-da-da-da-da. They don't get into a lot of detail. They don't get into all of the stuff no one cares about. They just show how they were listening. They heard the person and they believe they have a solution and the solution that they're offering speaks directly to what the prospect said and nothing else. They don't try and upsell them. They don't try and do anything else. They're just trying to help them in that moment solve that problem. That, for me, is what the most successful salespeople do. Yeah, beautiful. So there are two or three or four meta skills in that process. First of all, they're genuinely curious. So let me just ask about that first one. Do you find that that's natural and is either there or not there? Is it nature versus nurture? Can people develop curiosity? My observation is... It is a meta skill that can be developed, but you need to have some aptitude, some wiring in your system that you are initially curious or else it's difficult to create it out of nothing. Now, somebody can say human beings are naturally curious. In your experience working with business owners and you introduce them to this idea of being genuinely curious, what do you find? Is this something that they naturally discover and uh, liberate in in the conversations? Boy, that's such a great question. I do think people are basically curious. I think so many of these business owners have had this idea drilled into them that they're supposed to be talking instead of listening, that I think they've lost some of that muscle, some of that ability to just be quiet in the moment and listen. And I can give you an example. I know a gentleman who I'm in a group with him and we just kept saying to him, just go to the next thing without any expectations about anything. Just go learn something about, I don't know, two people, like just forget what that you sell something, whatever. So he goes to this thing and he does that. And he has like two prospects come out of it because he was so engaging with people that he really connected with them. So you would think, wow, the bell went off in his head. He gets it that if I'm just, you know, that you would lean into that skill. He went right back to his, what was normal for him, which was not listening. Yeah. And, you know, and so we had to pull him back out and go, wait a second, repeat what works, do what works. Don't, you know, look at these two scenarios. So I think it can take an effort for some people. I think introverts are great listeners. So they end up making some of the best salespeople once you teach them this because yeah. it's so liberating for them. Yeah. That Interesting. They dive right in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they don't want to be talking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and I think the essence of what you're describing in this step one, which is first of all, can you be curious is This is actually, it's not a technique. I mean, it is a technique and it is a skill, but it's more than a technique and a skill. It's a way of showing up. It's a way of being in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. You can't fake it. People see that a mile away. You can't fake it. You're exactly right. That's how you show up. That's true. The second meta skill you identified there is the ability to then shape the conversation in a way that retain the, the, the interest, the engagement, and then leads to 
a solution. So the, the, the skills there is they must be able to interpret what they hear from the other person, map those concerns, needs, interests with some value they can offer, a solution, a service, a product, and develop elegantly a way to create the conversational bridge in a way that is natural and is with ease and is not at all a hard sell, sell effort, but rather is a natural continuation from curiosity and interest to addressing a need and servicing uh, an opportunity. Am I describing that correctly? Yes, you are. And as you were describing it, I was thinking about it. You have to really, the part of the reason why you have to be actively listening is because a lot of times what salespeople do is they listen with an ear toward what they want to hear, not what the person is saying. So they end up driving the conversation to a destination that is not the right one. So we really have to be really actively listening with nothing tied to it. Like we have to be in curious brain, not sales brain. It's a whole, it is a, it really is a whole way of being. And I think personally that when we are just ourselves, when we get rid of all of the, I'm trying to sell something and we're just ourselves, it's much easier to be in, to be in this space. Because right. We're just ourselves. Yet, right. It's like, if you go to a family function you're not going to sell anybody there, but you're going to be curious, I would hope. You're going to want to know what's new with people. It's the same behavior. Well, so perhaps this is the third. I'm not even sure it's a meta skill. It's, it's more a way of being. Because to be simply yourself, natural in the moment, you're describing, I believe, the, the kind of healthy, mature, self-esteem, self-view, one that is free of the need to, I, I must prove a point to you now. And so much of the struggle, I think, for people to represent their value and the, their services because somewhere they are operating in a fear-based environment in their brain and that anxiety is sabotaging their, if you like, the, the higher functioning capacity, the curious brain, the, the engaging brain uh, from actually releasing w what is most natural for them. So it is that other requirement to escape the fear-based, the anxiety-based, the I need to, to prove a point-based behavior and truly be in the moment engaged in conversation. And if it leads to a, some kind of a business transaction, great. And if not, that's all right too. We just... Uh, you know, met a new person and we were in a genuine conversation and it's quite all right as well. Oh, it's such a great point. And I think you are absolutely right that we operate from this place of, uh, I have a mortgage to make, you know, I have to hit a quota. I have revenue I have to bring in. Some revenue is better than not. But what I say to people is that the more you focus on selling, the less you're actually going to sell. Mm because you are going to repel the people you're trying to attract to you. No one likes a salesperson. So you're, you're really sabotaging your entire effort by focusing on scarcity instead of abundance. Yep. 
that's that mindset. It just doesn't work. And I'm in the process of of writing a, a post that is called Focus and Faith. So it is a bit of a leap of faith. You have to be able to walk away. You have to know that good business is going to come. And at the same time, you can't just wait for good business to come. You have to focus on behaviors and activities and practices to make sure that you are always working your sales process. Right. Well, every morning when you get up, it, this is an act of faith. <laughs> I mean, for some, <laughs> for some it's a, an act uh, of overcoming dread and fear and stepping into yeah. the uh, drudgery of life. But for others, it's an act of faith. And, and in the third category, it's a joyful beginning of a new day when I'm likely to learn something I've never thought about before. So, right. I, I mean, right there, the, there are choice points in, in the way we engage with, with life. Yes. And it is all a choice. It really is. We, we get to choose how we play this game. My vote is that we play it in a way that gets us the best results, which is being in a, it's funny too, because I was thinking about this when you were speaking before also, is that part of it is having a mindset of wanting to be a helper, you know, want it to help others, not get from others. So those are two different mindsets. And if we're in the mindset of, I want to help, then no matter who we're talking to, we're getting to know them from a standpoint of, is this someone who I can assist? Is this someone who I can help? Either by introducing them to somebody or giving them a solution or educating them or giving them directions, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But then the way that I look at the interaction and the way I approach the interaction is totally different than if I'm trying to get something from them. The second need you identified was the idea of building systems and structures such that they don't need to reinvent what they do uh, five times a day or five times a week. What are some of the systems or advice or strategies that you're able to offer business owners that uh, get the most traction and results for them? I think probably the biggest one is helping them take their big goals and break that down into really small actionable steps and putting those actionable steps on their calendar in very small segments of time so that they are doable, so that they can actually accomplish them and and achieve them and learn how to work that sort of a system instead. Because what I find is they look at this big goal and they go, oh, I don't even know how I'm going to get there. Or they block out huge amounts of time and the day shows up and they don't have that time. So helping them schedule activities in a way that they can get them done leads to then communication strategies and systems for how do they enlist the assistance of others to help them have the opportunity to get things done. So it's, I mean, overall, it's like a time management thing. Even though I believe you can't manage time, you just can manage decisions. So it's helping them learn how to manage their decisions in a way that works better for them and allows them to actually accomplish things. That's probably one of the biggest. Well, I, I believe, say. I believe what you're describing, the, the essence of that is about getting people out of their heads and, and move into a focused, concrete action, step-by-step mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. And you'd think in a, 
in a more enlightened world, actually, they will teach that to in, I don't know, six, seven, eight, ninth grade graders. Mm -hmm. they, this is where we need to actually learn these muscles. But for some reason, we don't. They don't teach those capabilities, those skills of here is something you want to do. It's a big idea in your head. Chunk it down to steps. Begin moving with step one right here, right now. <laughs> That's right. That be something that you teach to uh, certainly to a fifth or sixth grader. It would be great. There's a lot of things. I, it, it, these are life skills. These are things that if we can learn to think like this, we can apply this thinking to everything that we confront in our lives. It makes problem solving so much easier because you become a possibility thinker. You know, okay, wait a second. I just have to look at this a little differently. I just need to piece it down because I can only do one thing right now. And that will lead me to the next thing. So I just got to be here in the moment. What, is, what can I do to start advancing the ball? Give me an example of how you learn and how you evolve through your work with clients. <clears throat> That's a really good question. I believe that I am a student of people. I am very observant of how people motor, how they do the things they do and where that's coming from. Because I believe that a lot of times it's not what you see. There's some underlying, like we were talking before about this feeling of fear, you know, that sort of direct thing. So, you know, I do a lot of reading and I like to follow people who I believe in and learn from them. And at the same time, I think I learn a lot from watching how business people engage by watching the things that they do. Before I got into my business, part of the reason I got into it was because I was watching what was going on in businesses and the way people were doing things that was sort of nonsensical to me. And I thought, this is crazy. That they, It's like pushing a rope. It doesn't have to happen this way. So let, let's try and do things a little differently. And then you, I learn as I go from other people's experiences and my own. You right. Know, things, things that go well and things that don't. So you're an observer learner and you're a teacher learner. You mm -hmm. learn by teaching, by helping, by training, by coaching others. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. What was a time when you needed to apply courage in your work or in your podcast interviews? Wow, courage. There are, wow, I mean, I can think of a couple. I think one that really stands out for me is I had entered into a partnership relationship with someone um, too soon, you know, without really knowing them, without really understanding what we were going to be working on and how it was going to be going. And it just wasn't working. And part of my struggle was that it was in my community. And so I had introduced the concept and the gentleman to my community of people who trusted me and believed in me. And so I felt sort of trapped, like I couldn't get out because I, I guess letting people down, but also would I be saying, okay, I sold you a bill of goods, whatever. And integrity is a really important thing to me. And I finally got to a place where I realized 
I couldn't stay in it anymore. I just had to stand up and say, this is not working. This is not what's best for either of us. It's not what's best for my family. It's not what's best for the business community. I have got to get out of this relationship. And, and it was, I mean, getting out was one of the best decisions that I've made. Uh, but, it, you know, it was tough. I struggled with what the impact of that was going to be. So when I listen to this example, this story, I hear two layers of courage. The first layer is an interior courage. Can you actually admit to what the data shows <laughs> that this is not going to work? Can you actually tell yourself, do you have the courage to tell yourself this is not working? This is before you take any, any practical uh, action or, or communicate to anything just actually being able to admit to the truth of the situation requires courage. And I ask you that because I think many of the people you and I work with and the business owners that, that you help, this is often where we are called to find the first courage, which is can we actually see a situation for what it is and admit to it and embrace it for what it is and then take the pain and then be prepared to make the second courageous step, which in the example you offer, to say, you know what, this is not working. We're going to have to terminate this relationship. We're going to have to terminate this arrangement. We're going to have to bring this to closure. And then living with the consequences, both with that person and with your community. So that, that's how I map the trace of courage in the story, in the example you offered. I think you're absolutely right by that. And I have always believed that I have to be able to do the things that I am teaching my clients to do, right? I can't be the do as I say, not as I do, that I have to be able to say, I've been there. I know this is difficult and I know it's better on the other side. And so, you know, if anyone's going to, be courageous first, it's got to be me, because otherwise, they can't trust that I have any idea what I'm talking about. And a lot of the time, the place where we need courage is to have a difficult conversation. Yeah. As, as we said, first, a difficult conversation in our own head with ourselves, but then a difficult conversation with the people working for us, working with us, the, uh, our partners, this is often where we need to find courage to have the mm -hmm. difficult conversation. The beauty of your example, if I heard the end of the story, is once you have that conversation, it's in most situations not as horrible as you imagine it will be before you actually go through the motions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time. Now, one of the keys to that is making sure that you give yourself the opportunity to really think it through like you don't react because I have found that conversations I have from a reactive standpoint never go well. Yeah. Right. But the ones where I give myself a chance to think about it and craft how I want to say what I'm going to say in a way that is the most professional and unemotional and results driven is always the best. And it, I don't think it has ever been, uh, as bad as I cooked up in my head that it was going to be. Indeed. So do you find that in your work with business owners, this aspect of 
not just courage, but their character that they, they're not just building their business. To build their business, actually, they're called to develop as human beings and develop their character. Do you find that this enters the, the conversation and the work you do with them? It does at times when they find themselves in a situation that, where they're not sure what to do. So their gut tells them what the right thing is, and then their brain kicks in and walks, you know, tries to get them to consider other things. And so we have to have the conversation around, is this in line with your values? Is this what you're about to do in line with who you are? Yes. Uh, you know, how, what do you want to do here? How is this, how are you going to deal with this after it's done? Because you're with you all the time. So, yeah, it definitely happens. And a lot of times I find that they know what the right thing is to do. They just want someone else to say, yes, I agree with you. That is the thing to do. Hmm. They just want the confirmation. Yes. Yes. How true. How true. Let's talk for a minute about your podcast show. What are two of the most uh, memorable interviews that you conducted that you can recall in the moment, and why? Wow. I've done over 300, so this is going to be sort of hard. Well, hmm, that is really a good question. Well, the one that comes to mind is Deanne Turner, who was the VP of Talent for Chick-fil-A. And it was memorable because she told this really interesting story about how the, I think it was the CEO, would stop on the side of the highway where the exit ramp was that went to their headquarters and clean up the garbage along the, the entrance ramp because, or the exit ramp, whatever it was, because he felt it had a direct reflection on them. Mm. And so, you know, their whole philosophy is about servant leadership. And that was just part of how he saw it. He just saw it in this complete, in this totality of everywhere he was, everyone he engaged with, everything that he did was around the ref- how he saw it as a reflection on himself and his company. It was just striking. Yes. Because incredible. So right, one? so right with that example, it's the mm-hmm. story. It's the story that made it memorable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think for me, it's always the story. I like the, you know, I, I would say, I mean, because there's so many that I resonate with, and I think it's because of how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How enthusiastic, I will say, or engaged the guest is with the topic. Mm-hmm. Like, I am so fortunate to interview people who really believe in what they know and really love sharing it with other people. And so it's such a joy for me to have the conversation. And not with all of them. I mean, there are some who we just got through it. But most of them, <laughs> or at least the ones that I remember, like you and there was Yonason. Gold, Goldman, I can't remember his last name, and Stacy Brown Randall. There's just been a ton of people who, I, I just talked to a guy today, Scott Miller, who it's just so engaging, yeah, so interested in what they're talking about that that's contagious for me. That's great. 
So what are some of the big lessons from the other lessons from the journey of building your podcast show? Well, for me, I have learned that I have to have a system and uh, that everyone has to fall into the system, and which really starts with having a, a structure around this is what I do and this is why I do it this way and my guests have to fit that or I can't have them as guests. Mm. So it makes it really easy for me to be able to say to someone, that's not a good fit and here's why, or I need you to reframe those questions, whatever it is, because I've made a commitment to the listeners that, you know, here's what they expect and this is what I'm going to give them. And so I don't want to compromise that. And for me, I feel like that what I do with the podcast translates to what I teach people to do with their businesses. That it's okay to say, this is how I do business. And here's why, you know, this is my policy and, and here's why. And when we have that, it takes a lot of that emotion out of com- difficult conversations. They're not as difficult anymore. And the implicit insight in what you're offering there is when you have clarity about the way you conduct business and the way you, you manage, whether it's your podcast show or anything else, what it also um, includes are, are all those other ways that are not alignment with that, how you do not conduct business, how do you not manage uh, your uh, system. So that is the implicit clarity that that comes with that. What's one thing you would do differently if you started your professional career today again? I would certainly not enter into any partnerships with anyone, I would keep myself from doing that. And what's an advice you'd offer a person early in their career, perhaps they're 25 years of age, they want to have a, their own business, and they have all sorts of ideas in their heads. And so how, what would you, your advice be to in terms of the step one and two and three? my advice would be go out and get yourself a really nice notebook and a pen that you like to write with and carry them with you everywhere you go. And as these ideas come to you, write them down and remember that you can do anything you want to do. You just can't do it all at the same time. So you're going to have to decide where you're going to start And everything else is going to have to go in the parking lot so that you can focus on one thing at a time, at most three things, but let's just pick one and get it where it needs to be. And then you, and that's why when you have it all written down, it's all in the same place. You can just go back and look and go, oh, see, and then there's this idea. Okay, now I want to do this one, but you got to have focus and you got to have clarity and build a community around you of people who support you and believe in you and will tell you the truth. Focus and clarity and the capacity to clearly identify their priorities and what is your first next move and then build a community of support, people who believe in you, they truly care for you, they will tell you the truth. Yes. Yeah. If you, if you were to lose, Dan, all that you know, 
and keep only two ideas or two capabilities or two practices, what would you keep? Curiosity and a belief in possibilities. Mm, beautiful. Curiosity and belief in possibilities, belief in, in your possibilities, belief in the possibilities that are in front of the people around you. Because when you bring that conviction, that belief, you are forever a precious uh, asset in any circumstance you'll find yourself in. And because anything's possible, you, but we, and, and we have to be possibilities thinkers. I would really hate it if I wasn't a possibilities thinker, if I couldn't look at things and say, okay, what can we do with this thing? What's another way of looking at this thing? And that of, you know, being, being that, that person who you mentioned before who wakes up and feels like, ugh, okay, here we go. This isn't going to be great. I just, I can't imagine uh, that I would not want. Is this the spirit, the essence of uh, the idea behind calling your business C's these day? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. I mean, why, what, what are you waiting for? Right? It used to be C's the day, and I changed it because I thought, okay, how about this one? You're in this <laughs> one. <laughs> what are we waiting for? Let's just do. It, it's, you know, it, I mean, the sky's the limit. My, my father used to say, um, you can do anything you want to do as long as you're willing to do the work. And what he didn't say, and I, I grew up in a different time, what he didn't say was, except you're a girl, which, you know, back then, I, I mean, I, I believed him and honestly went into the business world and discovered that that wasn't necessarily true, but I believed it so much that I just went and did whatever I wanted to do as long as I was willing to do the work. And I just always believed that, so... What was his exampleship? What was it that he demonstrated in his action alongside what he said? Oh, my gosh. He, you know, interestingly, he was a salesman. He was a really good salesman. He was so engaging, and he, he struggled career-wise when I was very little, and so I didn't really know about it. But what I saw from him was a persistence, and a belief in himself and a never give up attitude. And he, you know, got up every day and went out and made things happen. And he turned his world around and ended up being tremendously successful and ha always had that anything's possible and instilled that in me. I firmly believed it. I had no reason to doubt it because I saw him doing it. So he was the embodiment of uh, the idea that behind every overnight success, there the, the invisible 20 years of hard work, yes? Yes, <laughs> exactly. There's someone who's been working really hard for a long time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, thank you, Dan, for this exploration with you today. As we bring this to landing what parting wisdom do you want to offer to people listening to Create New Futures? Oh, my gosh. I would say, and, and let me just say, Aviv, I have so enjoyed this conversation. I, if I was going to uh, leave folks with one thing, it would be always believe you're going to be successful and always know that whatever decision you make isn't the last decision you ever have to make. So if it turns out it's not so great, just go make another one. Beautiful. That's the, the 
again, the idea that you and I and everybody listening, we are a work in progress. We are continuing to create new starters, new drafts. Every day is, a, is another draft for an ideal life. And so if your draft yesterday was not the perfect one, you can create a new one today. Exactly. Thank you so much. Thank you. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey, and it's your time to forward the action to create your new future. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, Diane offered that the best salespeople are naturally curious, and they lead their conversations out of that genuine desire to learn from the people they serve about their needs. This week, focus on creating high-impact and meaningful conversations by pivoting from trying to sell your ideas to being curious. You can always release fear and anxiety and worry by entering the zone of curiosity. Second, as Diane said, we each get to choose how we play the game of life. Do you approach conversations to discover what you can get from them or to discover how you can help? This choice will determine your outcomes. Something quite magical occurs when you show up ready to help and serve a need. Third, Become a possibility thinker. Everything is possible. Always believe you're going to be successful. And remember, every decision you make isn't the last one. Each and every day is a draft, a draft of your ideal life, and you can sketch a new updated draft today and then again tomorrow. These ideas for you to practice and apply this week. One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore your purpose and to discover how we can help you and your team create a new future. See you next time.